Section 15 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 9, April 1898. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Some of the Conditions and Possibilities of Agriculture in Alaska By Walter H. Evans, Ph.D., Botanist Office of Experiment Stations, U.S. Department of Agriculture During the summer of 1897, the Secretary of Agriculture, acting under the authority from Congress, commissioned Dr. Sheldon Jackson of the U.S. Bureau of Education, Mr. Benton Killen, one of the regents of the Oregon Agricultural College, and the writer, to investigate the agricultural conditions and possibilities of Alaska. The report of this commission has been made to Congress, and it has been issued as Bulletin 48 of the Office of Experiment Stations of the Department of Agriculture. Dr. Jackson made a preliminary report on the Yukon Valley, while the other commissioners reported their observations along the coast from Dixon Entrance to Unalaska. The following account consists in the main of an abstract of the fuller report. From the information gained, it appears that successful attempts have been made at a number of places along the Yukon River to raise hardy vegetables. Potatoes, turnips, cabbage, cauliflower, radishes, lettuce, peas, etc., have been cultivated to considerable extent, some of them having been grown as far north as Circle City and Dawson. Berries abound in the interior, as they do along the coast, and grasses suitable for grazing and hay were met with nearly everywhere. Specimens of good hay grasses more than six feet tall were secured from the vicinity of Circle City. Mr. William Ogilvie, who is connected with the land survey of the Dominion of Canada, estimates the agricultural area of the Upper Yukon at about 460,000 acres. It is possible that the growing of vegetables could be considerably extended in this region. As the observations of the writer were confined to the coast region, that portion of Alaska will be considered more in detail. Considered from an agricultural standpoint, the coast region is divided by a wide stretch of mountains, embracing the St. Elias and Fairweather ranges, in two rather characteristic regions, a timbered and a treeless region. The southwest, or wooded region, embraces the great Alexandrian archipelago, which consists of more than 1,000 islands and the mainland as far as Juneau. The second, or southwestern region, much of which is barren of trees, extends from Cook Inlet along the Alaskan Peninsula westward, including the Aleutian Archipelago, Kadiak, and the neighboring islands, the Shumangan Group, and numerous other smaller islands. The northern and northeastern part of this region contains some timber, but in general the region is characterized by its remarkable wealth of grasses. Toward the western portion of this area, the arborescent flora disappears entirely, or is represented by a few small stunted shrubs, mostly willows. Without entering into a general discussion of the meteorology of Alaska, attention may be called to two important facts. First, that the sum of effective temperatures for certain points in the coast region, although somewhat low, surpasses the effective temperatures of several localities in Europe of known agricultural capabilities. And second, that although the total annual precipitation is large, 
there is only one point at which as much as one-third of it falls during the summer months the summer rainfall at wrangell pyramid harbor and Killisnoo is less than that at indianapolis indiana raleigh north carolina or washington d c the soils of alaska to a great extent are of vegetable origin and to a considerable degree resemble what are called the rice lands of the south or the peat formations of europe and elsewhere in some places in southeastern alaska there are deep deposits of this rich-looking soil overlying slate or conglomerate bedrock with often a deposit of gravel intervening sometimes there is an impervious stratum of clay underlying the black soil where the soil lies directly on the bedrock or is underlain with clay the drainage is usually poor and the land more or less marshy samples of what appeared to be average soils were collected at various places and transmitted to the division of soils of the department of agriculture in commenting upon the character of the samples analyzed professor milton whitney says the organic content of many of these soils is very much higher than in any of the agricultural lands of the states they correspond very nearly with the rice lands and peat formations the black soils of the plains and the famous red river valley soils of the northwest contain from eight to ten per cent of organic matter but seldom more if these soils are so situated as to be well drained they should be capable of producing enormous crops and with an abundant and well distributed rainfall they would be adapted to almost any kind of crop suited to the general climatic conditions of that portion of the country in several places complaints were heard of a decided acidity of the soil but no definite information could be secured relating to it in one place the addition of a large amount of lime to a small plat had corrected the evil complained of peat formations are of a considerable extent in southeastern alaska in the southwestern portion of the country volcanic material adds to the fertility and porosity of the soil in many places in the cook inlet region the drainage is usually good the soil overlying deep deposits of gravel another characteristic soil formation is that which is so conspicuously illustrated by the tide flats of the copper and stickine rivers these places are more or less marshy and are subject to overflow at high tides where protected from the encroachment of the sea and sufficiently drained they are generally considered as very productive soils in the southeastern portion of alaska the sitkan spruce Pekia sichinesis and the hemlock tsuga mertenesiana abound now one and then the other predominating they grow from tidewater to timberline an elevation varying from two thousand to four thousand feet and in some places the trees attain considerable size specimens of the sitkan spruce were seen that were at least eight feet in diameter and probably more than two hundred feet high logs of this species were seen at the wrangell sawmill that approximated one hundred feet in length with an average diameter of more than four feet at different places in the southeastern region the so-called red and yellow cedar fluja gigantea and chimaecyperus noatcatescens abound usually at some little elevation from the sea although trees of considerable size were seen almost at sea level 
seldom do these trees occur in such abundance as to wholly exclude other species another spruce Tsuga petoni was observed but not in great abundance but a single species of pine pinus contorta was seen and that was almost invariably found on the flats or on the edge of bogs two species of alder alnus oregana and a viridis were common along the streams and on the mountainsides where snowslides have swept away the dense growth of moss and conifers willows are common but seldom were they seen to attain the dignity of trees in the north and northeastern portion of what has been designated the southwestern part of the coast region some spruce picius and chances and cottonwood populus balsamia occur the trees frequently attaining a considerable size considerable birch betula papyrifera and perhaps among other species occur in the upper part of the cook inlet region but elsewhere the forests of the southwestern coast are very insignificant local demands for lumber and fuel are the principal uses to which the timber is put and with almost entire exemption from forest fires the supply if properly regulated will be sufficient for all needs of alaskans for a long time to come next to the timber perhaps the grasses of alaska are among the most valuable of the plant products in all parts of the country they flourish to an extraordinary degree in southeastern alaska wherever the timber is cut away and the undergrowth of the shrubs kept down a dense growth of grass soon takes place to the exclusion of all other plants of the common grasses timothy phleum pretense alaska redtop dechampsia caspitosa and debotnica bluegrass poa pratensis orchid grass dactylus glomerata wild barley hordium boreali calama grostis alutica and wild rye elemus molus and other species are the most widely distributed and are probably the most valuable for pasture and hay timothy orchid grass and bluegrass have become thoroughly established and grow to great size one of the most common native grasses in the alaskan red top it is a prominent factor in nearly all grass mixtures and frequently exceeds a man in height specimens at sitka july five were a little more than four feet in height and just heading orchid grass more than three feet in height was seen as early as june twenty and the western part of alaska valley and hillside as far as a thousand feet or more elevation were green with grass during the time spent in that region the most common hay grasses at cadiac are proa pretensis descampsia caespitosa and hordium boreali with some wild timothy phleum alpinum calamagrostis langsdorfia was the most abundant haygrass observed in cook inlet at unalaska the common pasture and haygrasses appear to be tricetum subspicatum and calamagrostis alutica while clover was seen in many of the small meadows and dooryards from which places it seems to be rapidly spreading some red clover was also seen but its adaptability to alaskan conditions can neither be affirmed nor denied 
since apparently no thorough attempt has been made to introduce it. In a few places, alfalfa was also seen that was beginning to seed in August. On the tide flats, dense growths of sedges are common, and in some places a very common vetch, Vicia gigantea, occurs, and if utilized it would add considerable to the feeding value of the marsh hay. The nutritious character of the Alaskan grasses was not only shown by their analyses, but also by the sleek and fat cattle seen during the summer. Aside from pasturage, but little use is made of these grasses. The amount of hay that is made is wholly inadequate, and much more could undoubtedly be had if more care had been given the subject. The abundance of berries in Alaska has been a subject of remark by everyone who has written concerning this country. So far as could be learned, but little attention has been given to their cultivation, but the few attempts that have been made seem to promise favorably. Hardly any berries are cultivated, except a few strawberries, currants, and raspberries, and of these, both wild and cultivated forms were seen growing, and the adaptation of the wild plants to domestication was very evident. The wild strawberry was seen under cultivation at Wrangell, and specimens of Rubus stellatus, known as dewberry, morong, and kineshineka, were seen growing in a garden at Sitka and it seems probable that more could be done in this line. The flavor of most Alaskan berries was found to be excellent, and some of them might be worthy of introduction into the States. Of the berries which have widest distribution may be mentioned the salmonberry, Rubus spectabilis, two kinds of cranberries, the highbush, Viburnum palciflorum, and the little cranberry, Vassineum vitis idea the red and black currant, Rebus rubrum and R. laxiflorum, crowberries, Empitrum nigrum, huckleberries, Vassineum oliginosum, and its variety, Mucronatum, raspberries, Rupus strigosus, elderberries, Sambucus racemosa, bunchberries, Cornus canadensis, and C. suesica, and the mulca, are baked appleberry, Rubus chamea morris. Of less general distribution are strawberries, Frigaria kiloensis, dewberries, Rubus stellatus, thimbleberries, R. parviflorus, salalberries, Galteria shalon, bog cranberries, Vicinium oxycoccus, wine or beer berries, Arctostaphylus alpina, etc. These berries are used in many ways by the native and white population, and in addition to the consumption of fresh berries, many are stored up in various ways for winter use. The white population preserve, can, and make jelly of the different kinds, while among the natives the principal method of preserving them is in seal oil, a vessel filled with berries preserved in this way, forming a gift that is usually highly prized. Numerous miscellaneous plants are used for food. Among the more common are the Labrador or Hudson Bay tea, Latum groenlandicum, wild rice or coo, the underground bulbs of which are dried, powdered, and made into a sort of cake. Wild peas are employed to some extent, and several species of mushrooms are collected for use. 
quite a number of plants are used as pot herbs, and the medicinal value of others is recognized. Cultivated areas in Alaska are, with the exception of one or two notable instances, confined to kitchen gardens, in which are grown many of the hardier vegetables of our own gardens, such as lettuce, radishes, carrots, parsnips, potatoes, onions, peas, snap beans, celery, turnips, cauliflower, cabbage, rhubarb, horseradish, etc. In most places, the local supply of radishes, lettuce, turnips, and carrots being about equal to the demand. It is a subject of dispute whether or not potatoes mature in Alaska. Under the methods of culture adopted in Alaska, it is very probable that a dry, starchy potato is not secured, as potato tops, seen late in the fall, were still quite green. In Cook Inlet and on Kadiak Island, as well as elsewhere, the natives grow a small round potato, the original stock of which is said to have come from Russia or Siberia, and so far as could be learned, it is the same now as it was fifty or one hundred years ago. No trouble was reported in securing sufficiently mature tubers so that the seed could be kept over from one season to another. Among some specimens of vegetables sent to the Department of Agriculture by Mr. Frederick Sargent of Cadillac were some potatoes, specimens of which weighed a pound each. No doubt these were larger than the average, but it certainly disposes of the stock idea that potatoes will not grow larger than walnuts in Alaska. Complaints were heard in some places that cabbage and cauliflower would not head. There occasionally appears to be some ground for this, but 16-pound cabbages from Killisnu and 24-pound cauliflowers from Wrangell would rather indicate that in some places these plants do well. Local conditions may cause failures of these crops, just as seems to be the case with several others. Localities were visited where it was said that onions would not grow, others where beets could not be raised. But both of these vegetables were seen in flourishing conditions elsewhere. In a few places, where attempts have been made to grow peas and snap beans, the efforts have been apparently quite successful. When the peas are gathered at frequent intervals, the vines are said to bear for an extra-long period. Specimens of a so-called dwarf pea were seen at Wrangell, that had grown to a height of three feet. Whether this was due to a mistake in the variety or to the climate and soil cannot be determined. During the past summer, cucumbers were reported to have been grown at Tuyunok, but none were seen when that place was visited. But little appears to have been done in attempting to grow cereals throughout the whole country. It is reported that during the Russian regime, spasmodic attempts were made to do something in the line of promoting agriculture, but it appears that nothing of a permanent nature was accomplished. At Yakutat, on the site of the old town, an agricultural colony was established, and at various places in Cook Inlet the same was attempted. It is claimed that during Russian occupation, oats, rye, barley, and buckwheat were grown to a considerable extent, but if this is true, there are now no traces of the fields where the grain was formerly cultivated. The few cereals seen growing were for the most part self-seeded, from hay, feed, etc. At Wood Island and Cadillac, mature oats were seen August 22nd that had evidently grown from seed scattered from feed or packing. 
a few specimens of barley were seen at one of the places that were about fifteen inches high headed but not ripe the origin was probably due to the same causes as that of the oats at tayunaki limited experiment was made during the last summer with spring-sown wheat rye and barley and on the last days of july the barley and rye were about fifteen to eighteen inches high and fully headed out the wheat had made a fine growth but showed no tendency to head at sitka in eighteen ninety six a small plat of wheat was ripened in fairly good condition and in eighteen ninety seven at the same place a plat of flax was sown and on september fourth the plant averaged about thirty inches in height and were in full bloom the earlier capsules containing almost mature seed about the only real farm in the country is on the island between juno and sitka near the village of kilisnu it consists of about forty acres under cultivation and has been under cultivation for about three years the equipment of stock consists of a team of horses six head of cattle and about thirty hogs part of the land was tide land and dikes have been built to keep out the sea turnips peas cabbage potatoes swedish turnips beets etc are now grown extensively the crop for this year consisted of about seven tons of potatoes twenty tons of swedish turnips several tons each of beets carrots parsnips and a large quantity of peas two silos are maintained at this place and the owner is able to carry his stock through the winter in very good condition he supplies some milk and meat as well as vegetables to the village of kilisnu where there is a fish oil and guano factory and also to the steamers touching there during the season for the most part the same methods of cultivation are pursued throughout nearly the entire country the generally neglected appearance of gardens is everywhere apparent it is not confined to the garden of the native but too often that of the white man is as poorly cared for often a vast amount of labor is expended in planting the crop but once planted it is allowed to care for itself the result is a large and luxuriant crop of weeds bedding up the soil is practiced nearly everywhere on the lighter and better drained soils it is not as necessary as on the heavy poorly drained ones usually the beds are formed about three or four feet wide and raised as high above the general levels as can be economically done most crops are planted in rows across the beds the distances separating the individual plants varying according to the crop close planting seems to be the rule with nearly every crop the attempt seems to be to secure the largest possible harvest from a limited area by planting a large amount of seed potatoes are not infrequently planted six inches apart in rows separated not more than a foot the result of such plantings is a thick growth of vines that covers the ground to such an extent that the sun's rays never reach the ground such methods can hardly fail to produce a yield of very inferior tubers at present stock raising is carried on to a very limited extent milk cows being the most common farm animal seen at nearly every village there were seen some cows pigs and poultry while horses are kept at a few of the larger places the team at the Snoo farm is probably the only team in alaska employed in agriculture the other horses being used for t 
teaming around the towns and packing around mining camps. At several places, dairies are maintained, supplies of milk and a small quantity of butter being furnished most of the year. At Cadillac some years ago, an attempt is made to introduce sheep. Quite a number were placed on a small island, and as they had come from a much warmer and drier region, many died during the winter, in consequence of being poorly fed and not provided with shelter. Pigs are reported to thrive exceedingly well in most parts of Alaska, but when allowed to run at large, their flesh is liable to acquire a fishy flavor. The same objection is raised against the flesh of fowls, since their diet in winter consists almost entirely of fish refuse. The prevailing conception of Alaska as a region, wholly given up to glaciers and mountains, is strikingly at variance with the facts. In 1894, the director of the Geological Survey estimated the tillable land in southeastern and southwestern Alaska as embracing between 4,000 and 5,000 square miles, or from 2,500,000 to 3,200,000 acres, an area about equal to that of the state of Connecticut. If the grazing lands be added to the above estimate, the acreage would be greatly extended. The agriculturalist of Alaska will have some serious problems to consider. The more important are the clearing and draining of the land, lack of markets, and transportation facilities. In southeastern Alaska, with the exception of the tide flats, land must first be cleared of the dense forest growth, and in some places the deep moss will also have to be removed. The spruce stumps must be dug out, as they are very slow in rotting, and not infrequently produce large second-growth timber. In addition to clearing, the land must be thoroughly drained and protected against seepage from above. This ditching and removal of stumps is very laborious, and estimates of $200 per acre were given as a probable cost of preparing the soil for cultivation. This cost seems well-nigh prohibitive for agricultural purposes. However, the same process had to be followed elsewhere. A report issued by the experiment station at Pullman, Washington, states the cost of clearing mucklands of cedar and alder stumps at the Pallyup substation to be $122.80 per acre. No definite information has been obtainable as to the cost of clearing farmland elsewhere. But wherever practiced, the process is expensive. In the southwestern portion of the country, the expense of clearing away the stumps will not be required, nor is draining necessary to the same extent as in the other region. The agricultural possibilities of Alaska can be estimated only from the rather meager evidence of limited experiment, and by comparing what has been accomplished in regions having somewhat similar conditions. Agriculture as it exists in Alaska has been described in the previous pages, it is not expected that this country will ever rival the Mississippi Valley in its productiveness, but it does seem probable that agriculture and horticulture could be extended so as to supply local demands for many products. When the climatic conditions, topography, soils, etc., of Norway, Iceland, the Orkney Islands, as well as Scotland, Sweden, and Finland are compared with those of Alaska, it seems probable that what has been accomplished in European stations could also be done in this country, if properly undertaken. It is well established 
that many agricultural products flourish in parts of northern Europe having approximately the same temperature during the growing season as we find to exist in portions of Alaska, and if temperatures is the controlling factor in plant distribution, there would seem no reason why the same varieties of plants would not succeed in both countries if properly introduced and cultivated. Rye, oats, and barley are grown in sufficient abundance in the north of Europe not only to supply local demands but also to some extent for export. Comparing Alaskan data secured from agricultural experiments that have not always been conducted in the best manner with the results secured from other regions having a somewhat comparable climate, it seems safe to say that the coast region of Alaska possesses agricultural possibilities of no little importance and with an enlightened native population and a permanent white one it seems possible that the demand for many of the agricultural products could be supplied end of section 15